Hi, this is Steve. As most of you know, I am a huge fan of the Top 10 show starring Matt Nost and the cinephile's own John Rocha. In fact, I'm not just a fan. I am a patron of the show. And if you love hearing your movies ranked by experts, you should be too. The truth is, supporting the Top 10 show pairs perfectly with your support for the cinephiles on Patreon.com. And one of my favorite recent episodes was on culturally important black movies with their special guest, Chris Burns. This was a fantastic exploration into the history and influence of African-American cinema, covering such diverse films as Shaft, In the Heat of the Night, Do the Right Thing, Malcolm X, Get Out, and Black Panther. But beating out all of those for the number one spot was a complete surprise. Eddie Murphy's 1988 comedy, Coming to America. Now, it might seem strange that this film would beat out heavy hitters like Malcolm X and Do the Right Thing, but the fact is, Coming to America was a true cultural sensation, and one cannot underestimate the power and popularity of Eddie Murphy in the 80s. Now, this is a great comedy and one of John's all-time favorites, so if you haven't checked it out, I highly recommend a visit to our website, cinephiles.net, where you can buy or stream Coming to America along with every other film we've ever reviewed. Then, head over to patreon.com slash thecinephiles to support us, patreon.com slash thetop10 to become a patron of the Top 10 Show, and finally come back on Friday to hear John and I break down what is scientifically proven to be history's most culturally influential black film, Eddie Murphy's Coming to America. Oha! It is my 21st birthday. Do you think perhaps just once I might use the bathroom by myself? Most amusing, sir. Wipers! Hello and welcome once again to The Cinephiles, where each week we enter the world of a great film. We explore its themes, the history, the filmmaking, and the influence it has us and the influence it has on us today. My name is Steve Morris. I'm a filmmaker and directing instructor in Los Angeles, California. Hello, everyone. My name is John Roca. I'm a voiceover artist, uh, host, writer, and producer over at Collider Video and, of course, uh, on the uh, iTunes for the top ten. We are now our own feed, Steve. We have separated from the schmoes. No. Whoa. You can sign up at Cinephiles or subscribe. The top ten. There you go. I'm doing that now. You know what we should do? Uh, let's put it on the Cinephiles website, too. I don't oh. know that people go there, but let's let's put a link to the new top 10 feed. That's very kind. And we should also put it on the Cinephiles Facebook page so because mm-hmm. we want to make sure that everyone who wants to find it can find it. Okay. Um, yes. This is a big move. It is a big move. You can yeah. put a link to our live show in Chicago for tickets. That'd be nice, too. So Sure. We'll, we'll do all of those things. Reggie's Live. Yeah. <laughs> um, I didn't know you had a place for it yet. We do. Reggie's oh. Live. Two oh. shows that night. And when When is it? Uh, uh, April 11th, the week of Star Wars Celebration in Chicago. It's my wife's birthday. Oh, perfect. We're doing two shows. I don't then. know why that's perfect. It's well, because it's something to celebrate. <laughs> um, and um, and my wife just walked in. Um, and I am very excited today, and I think you are even more excited to talk about one of your favorite films. Yes, Eddie Murphy coming to America. Oh, wipers! <laughs> I love this movie to pieces. Uh, it is my favorite Eddie Murphy movie by far. Uh, and it is, I think, the greatest of his first three films. And the most it is not, perfectly It is not one of his thir- first three films. Isn't it? No. But, uh, Beverly Hills Cop, 48 Hours, and then Coming to America. What's what's in between there? 48 Hours, Trading Places, Beverly Hills Cop. Oh, I Cop, forget about Trading Places. Uh-huh. Uh, Golden Child, that was before. Yeah, whatever. Um, and I think there might be one other. What? It's not Vampire in Brooklyn. I know that. 
um, Beverly Hills Cop Two. That's before that's coming to America. Yeah. All right. Well, then let me let me correct myself and say this is the pinnacle of Eddie Murphy's career, in my opinion. Um. So let me ask. Uh. Uh. Do you know how you first came to Eddie Murphy? Let's start there. Oh yeah. Um. Here's how I first came to Eddie Murphy. There was a kid when we moved to Virginia or moved to uh, this uh, kind of southern city of Virginia, Dale City, which I grew up in. Uh, there was this kid. We were friends. Uh, I used to ride my bike over to his house and we would hang out and listen to music. His parents were never home. We'd listen to music, blah, blah, blah. He found he got this cassette of Eddie Murphy Delirious. Eddie okay. Murphy and we played that thing on a loop on his because I'd never heard jokes like that. I'd never heard anybody cuss like that. And it taught me how to cuss. Eddie Murphy taught me how to cuss from having listened to that whole thing. That's the barbecue jokes. The whole nine was all it was all that. Well, I think we owe him a debt of gratitude just for teaching you how to cuss. <laughs> I agree. Um, for me, uh, it was Saturday Night Live. So I was a huge oh, Saturday Night Live fan. Okay, okay. Just I'm a few years older than you. I wasn't allowed to watch it. Yeah, yeah and well, and like I really judged my uh, growing up by how late I could stay up. So first, I could stay up to watch The Love Boat. Then I could oh, stay up oh, to watch oh. Fantasy Island. Nice. And then there was this time where I could stay up and watch Saturday Night Live. Nice. And it was right. I I think I started seeing reruns, which they would play mm-hmm. of the older cast. But then it was probably right as it was getting really bad, 79, 80, mm-hmm. 81, mm-hmm. that I uh, w- was able to stay up. And I remember when Eddie Murphy started on Saturday Night Live. And I really think, by the way, that we would not have Saturday Night Live today if it wasn't for Eddie Murphy. A million percent. Because you have the original cast, and it's a huge hit, and then the original cast kind of leaves, and then there's some, we kind of have the halfway cast, yeah. and then we have some other people, mm-hmm. and and uh, Lauren Michaels is gone, and I think if Eddie Murphy doesn't come on, we don't go, oh, this is, a new cast can come on, the right. idea that this can keep going. Mm-hmm. And I think, we we talked about Robin Williams a while ago, and for me, Robin Williams was the funniest person in the world. Yeah, and that Eddie Murphy replaced him for me as the funniest person in the world. Fair. I I thought him on Saturday Night Live, and that's you know I'm Gumby, damn it, yeah, and Buckwheat, and yeah, Mr. Robinson's neighborhood, Mr. Robinson's neighborhood, <laughs> yeah, uh, kill my landlord, C I L L, my landlord. Oh, that's Tyrone Green. I was, yeah, <laughs> and Mr. Ro- yeah, those yeah. are such great characters, yeah. and he was such a mimic. And it's funny. So I have a little biographical information on him so he's born in 61 in brooklyn his yeah. parents split when he was three and his dad died i think he was killed oh, wow. when he was eight like stabbed um and then his mom became ill and then he went off into the foster uh child world i think with his brother and that really shaped him and maybe the thing that shaped him the most was seeing richard Pryor yeah. when he was 15 and also, when he's 15, he does his first stand-up. Mm-hmm. And I think he's on Saturday Night Live when he's like 19. Yeah, 19 years old. Really young. And he just explodes onto the scene, comes on a 48 hours, to- which I haven't watched it in a really long time. I love that movie. Good movie. Um, and he totally, totally steals the show. Mm-hmm. Then does Trading Places, which I love. Yes, yeah, very And then does my favorite Eddie Murphy movie, which is Beverly Hills Cop. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's interesting, and then he is the biggest star in the world, yeah. you know. And 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 this is also my sort of theory of where it comes from: of that comedians become the top, and they actually only usually make around four really good movies. Yeah, you know. And I for me, that's fair. Forty-eight Hours, Trading Places, Beverly Hills Cop, Coming to America, mm-hmm. and then after Coming to America. 
it kind of goes downhill. Yeah, the record gets real spotty after yeah, that. Yeah, until he has, he finds animation. Right. You know, and then he does some things like Bowfinger and, mm-hmm. you know, a few other, and of course doing the clumps, yeah. doing the Nutty Professor films, that's right. where he has a bit of a resurgence and doing Dreamgirls later on. But like mm-hmm. from that era, from 80 to 88, yeah, there's nothing bigger than Eddie Murphy. Mm-hmm. Um, do you remember how you first saw Coming to America? Yeah, in the theater. Me too. I went to see with my best friend Maurice. We went to go see this thing. Probably Jim probably came with us too. We were all three best friends right around that time, and just sat there and laughed my ass off at the genius of it all. How uh, just the brilliance of this uh, film, and how confident Eddie was with his with this comedy, uh, and this fish out of in essence this fish kind of out of water yeah. story, trying to figure out. Trying to, you know, not be part of an arranged marriage and trying to find love. Yeah. And that was great. Um, With Arsenio. It was my first exposure to Arsenio, I think, as well. I am amazed at Arsenio in this movie. Mm-hmm. That he goes fairly toe-to-toe with Eddie Murphy, particularly playing all those characters. Like, I actually think, I don't think he had the career that maybe he, I mean, it's he has such a weird career. He became a talk show host. He was successful as hell, man. Sure. But, like, I go, I look, he was not a very good interviewer. He's not the best talk yeah, show no, host. No, no, he was just, but he was. He has a lot of he personality. Did. He did. And I, but I go like watching what he does in this movie. I'm like, why didn't he do more of this? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I saw it in the theater too. I thought it was hilarious. I watched it over and over and over again. I saw it maybe 10 years ago uh-huh. and then saw it in the last week. Yeah. So it's been a while since I had watched it. Okay. You look at me suspiciously. Yeah, I want to like, see if you, because you hadn't seen it in so long. Did watching it again, did you laugh? Did you enjoy it? Or did you think it was a bit dated? I told it is dated. Mm-hmm. I totally enjoyed it. Good. I totally, totally enjoyed good. it. This will be it, a good episode st- then. It still is not my. It, I still like Beverly Hills Cop more. Okay. But was it, but I had some interesting epiphanies about it, which we'll kind of get into. Okay. Um, so a little pre-production. Eddie says this was his idea, and if you look at the credit, it says "Story by Eddie Murphy." Yeah. We'll get into that a little bit later. <laughs> John Landis disagrees. <laughs> well, not just John Landis. Oh, <laughs> there's a whole lawsuit yeah, we'll yeah, get that's into. Right, that's right. Um, and he says he called up John Landis and pitched the idea, and and that he and this is and it's funny. Apparently, um, and they gave the movie to uh, David Sheffield and Barry Blasting, who are the writers. And Eddie says he hired Landis. He kind of wanted to throw him a bone. I'm going to say that in 1988, Eddie Murphy's ego was large. Oh, not just 88, pal. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and there's a moment, of course, Landis was really instrumental early in his career because he hired him for trading places. Right. You know? Right. And and so there's a moment on the set. It's funny. When you see Landis interviewed about Eddie Murphy, he is very diplomatic. Yes, he is. I think there was a lot of conflict on the set and he sort of downplays it and kind of says, Oh, you know, it was still a great experience. I'm still really proud of the movie. Right. Um, and, and there's one moment where Eddie came up to Landis and said, you treat me like everyone, like you treat everyone else, to which Landis's response is, well, isn't that a good thing? <laughs> and for Eddie, the answer would be no, no, you're supposed to treat me like Eddie Murphy. I'm the star. Um, here's what Eddie Murphy said about John Landis. Oh he, he said, we had a tussling confrontation. We didn't come to blows. Personalities didn't mesh. He directed me in trading places when I was just starting out as a kid, but he was still treating me like a kid five years later during Coming to America. And I hired him to direct the movie. I was going to direct 
coming to America myself, but I knew that Landis had just done three fucked up pictures in a row and that his career was hanging by a thread after the Twilight Zone trial. I figured the guy was nice to me when I did Trading Places, so I give him a shot. I was going out of my way to help this guy and he fucked me over. Now he's got a hit picture on his resume, a movie that made him over $200 million as opposed to him coming off a couple of fucked up movies, which is where I'd rather see him be right now. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So, you know, whew. creativity, man. Well, and this is also, I think, you know, becoming the biggest thing in the world, that is not good for people. Yeah. That is a very unhealthy thing mm -hmm. to have happen to you. Well, Eddie's already always had an ego. Oh, yeah. And you look at that, like 15 years old, he's already doing stand-up. What kind of guts it takes to already be doing it at 15 years old? And then four years later, you are like a national phenomenon right. on Saturday Night Live. Like that, that, and all that is driven by a deep desire and belief in yourself. Well, and then the the world confirms the fact that you yeah. can apparently do no wrong. You yep. are awesome. Would you like to get into the film? Let's do this. We start with Lady Smith, Black Mumbaza. Yeah. Singing a version of Lion Sleeps Tonight, which is Mbube, is its uh, African name. Sure, sure. Lady Smith, Black Mumbaza was... Very big in the late 80s, after yeah. Paul Simon. Mm -hmm. uh, I Graceland love the sound, yeah. yeah. I listened to that Graceland album over and over oh, and over yeah. and over and over again. He got so much shit for that, too. Overall, Paul Simon did, as this went along. So, yeah. A lot, lot of creativity division going on around the so, 80s. Yeah, a lot of anger going on. Um, and we go past the Paramount Mountain into Africa, down through the clouds, over the forest, and towards a beautiful castle with elephants going around and... It seems very much like a fairy tale castle. <laughs> and that's when we see our story by Eddie Murphy credit. And we see Oha walking through the ballroom into Eddie Murphy's chambers. And there's an orchestra getting set up. And you're going, what is, what is happening here? And he conducts them and they play. And the camera tilts down to see Akeem Eddie Murphy in bed. Because this is his alarm clock. That's right. That's how you wake up when you are the prince of Zamunda. Zamunda. Um, and he wakes up very, very peacefully, uh, and in come, uh, some women with the flowers. The flower bearers are waiting because that's also how we roll in Zamunda. Good morning, your highness. Good morning, your highness. Happy birthday, your highness. Yes, it is my birthday. They put shoes out for him, robe, claps for the flower girls, opens up some doors and there's the toilet. And what does Akeem ask? Wipers? <laughs> well, Akeem actually asks if he could, if he could, it's his 21st birthday. Oh, can, he please, can he please wipe his own bottom? Yeah, wipe his own bottom. <laughs> no. Oha laughs at that. Yeah. I love wipers. <laughs> I mean, I think wipers sets the tone of jokes for this movie yep. from beginning. And then we're in the bath. There's a beautiful naked woman yes. bathing him. And, a paw, and he's sitting quite serenely, a very peaceful, happy expression on his face. And then a woman rises up from under the water and says... The royal penis is clean, your highness. <laughs> Here's the thing. Yeah. Talk to me, Steve. There's this era, I would say from Animal House until maybe 1990 or so, uh -huh. where comedy and sexual jokes and female nudity mm -hmm. are linked yes in a way that 
11-year-old till 21-year-old Steve thought was awesome. Sure. <laughs> Looking at it now, maybe not as much. Well, but would 11 to 21-year-old kid still think it was awesome? Probably. Probably. Nowadays, probably. Would an 11-year-old or girl or her mom think this is awesome? Probably not. Maybe and not. They probably didn't back then either. Yeah. I don't know. That's an interesting question. Mm. Uh, Akeem is in a polo outfit, and we talk about how excited he should be because it's his 21st birthday, and he's going to meet his wife. Yeah. And he says, Well, I'm curious, but how can a man get excited about a woman he's never seen? And now we get the first inkling of the what the problem is going to be. Yeah. We go to breakfast, and there we meet James Earl Jones. Um, originally, they wanted Sidney Poitier to play this. Oh. Yeah. I could see that. He'd be great. Yeah. He'd be great. But that voice of James. Oh, God, I love James Earl Jones. Mm-hmm. He was doing Fences at the time. Oh, shit. I saw him at fen- in Fences. It was one of the greatest theater experiences I ever had in my entire life. So, real quick, Lindley worked, my girlfriend worked at Boston Court Theater and pretty much saw all the August Wilson things wow. while they were in development. Wow. And she talks about Fences and the two plays before Fences as well that she saw as they were creating them. And she I, said, life-changing experience. I think I, I saw, I've seen probably four of those in the mm. theater. And they're unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Joe, Joe Turner coming down, gone. Ma, yeah. Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Right. The, the, those plays are amazing. And Fence is the most like, you know, I'm being in the theater and having James Earl Jones up on stage was just mm-hmm. talk about blowing your hair back. You want to add this to the Cinephiles Facebook page that there's a YouTube clip of him doing that scene with Denzel where Denzel's the young kid. Really? Yeah. They go back and forth about it. I don't owe you nothing. Yeah. Anyway, uh, he didn't want to play the part. Portier didn't. No, James Earl Jones. Wow. He wanted the John Amos part. <laughs> he thought that was the more the funnier part. Certainly the funnier part. And Landis like, no, I want you need to, we need the king. Yeah. You gotta be the king. You're the king. Um so we're having breakfast. Uh the queen is Madge Sinclair, who I think's great in this. Yeah, she's there's a little joke with a royal taster, and we're looking at a huge table mm-hmm. with Akeem at one end and them at the other. They think he looks sad, so they call him on the intercom. They can't even see him past the big uh, centerpiece. Yeah. And Akeem starts to answer on the intercom and then he oh my god. He decides to get up and walk towards them. The flower bearers were unprepared. Yes. They have to run to catch up. His bold move. His bold, bold move. And, and he finally gets up there. And the king notices that he's grown a mustache, mm-hmm. apparently a year ago. <laughs> so they don't spend a lot of time together. Right. Um, and he's not happy. He's not happy about the rose petals. And the king goes, well, you're the son of a king. Why shouldn't you have rose petals? And he goes, well, I'd still be the son of a king if I didn't have rose petals then it is settled from this day forth anyone who throws roses at my son's feet will answer to me <laughs> i love the reaction of the rose bearers as they say as they realize oh and they yeah. back quickly out of the room they run out um and it goes off on everything it's the pampering the bathing mm-hmm. well actually i rather enjoy the bathing um and the biggest thing of course is why can't i find my own wife aha so that's it We've gone to a great deal of trouble to select for you a very fine wife. Since the day she was born, she was taught to walk and speak and think as a queen. But father, what if I do not love her? You will learn to love her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Apparently his parents were terrified of each other. Yeah. The, the queen describes, you know, nausea. <laughs> so, you see, my son, 
There is a very fine line between love and nausea. <laughs> and then in comes Simi. Simi. Yeah. Uh, Arsenio Hall. Arsenio Hall, who is great. Mm-hmm. He, this is really his first movie. He has a little part in Amazon Women on the Moon. Oh, yeah. I remember that. Yeah. Good sketch. He was doing the voice on the Ghostbusters cartoon. Oh, shit. I think. Of Winston? I'm not sure. Oh, interesting. I just saw it in his IMDb. Okay. And what they say is, had the studio had any idea his part was so big, they never would have let him be in this movie. Oh. Yeah, because he's a nobody. I mean, no one's ever heard of him. Maybe Eddie wrote the part bigger as it was going along. I'm wrong. sure that's kind of what happened. Yeah. Um, and they go off to do some fight training. Now let's see if you can defend yourself. You sweat from a baboon's balls. So you say you can have a woman who will obey your every command, but you'd rather have a woman who has an opinion? Only dogs are to obey. If you truly love your wife, you will value her opinion. And in between their moves and in between switching back and forth with the stunt doubles who are doing like 10 back springs and laid out flips and all that stuff. Um, And because Semi is just sort of hippopotamus shit. You're the heir to the throne of Zamunda. Your wife need only have a pretty face, a firm backside, and beak breasts like cassava melon. Um, so that's what he wants. So you would share your bed and your fortune with a beautiful fool. That is the way it has always been with men of power. It is tradition. It is also tradition that times must and always do change, my friend. Well, that's what he thinks. But we're still going into a big, huge party, and man, there are elephants there. Yep. There are hundreds of people in costumes, and the costumes are really pretty amazing. This is uh, Deborah Noodleman, who did Animal House, Blues mm-hmm. Brothers, and Trading Places, so she did all the John Landis films. Wow. She also did Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> um, and she was fascinated with African fabrics and clothing since she was a kid. She did like her thesis in college on the history of these fabrics and clothes. It sounds like she really was the right person for this job. And what she did, what was so hard to do was to combine truly African fabrics and techniques of draping and all that stuff with this Royal world that doesn't really exist in this way. And it's sort of half African and half the British Royal family Mm -hmm. inspired by the, day uh at the races from my fair lady that's what she was going for with big hats and all that stuff right the costumes are really great and in comes this kind of colonel and he says i'm proud to present my daughter Mm -hmm. and then we hear excuse me pardon me excuse me and this huge woman comes through and there's a reaction from right of course from eddie murphy in arsenio hall and then it ends up she's announcing the bride and the and then we have a huge dance number You know, John Landis has done a lot of dance numbers because the last movie we did of his was Blues Brothers. That's right. And he has a new choreographer for this dance number, Paul Abdul. Paul Abdul, yep. who was huge in the mid to late 80s yes, as a choreographer. Was. Yes, she was. And I think a good choreographer. Yes, she is a fantastic choreographer. Yeah. Uh, I would say, and I don't care what anybody says, J-Lo is ridiculous compared to Paul Abdul's dancing, singing, and choreography. She can have the acting. Paul Abdul's choreography, singing, and dancing were always so much more uh, artistic than I. I love Paula, and she gets she needs she deserves more respect and love for the work she did through all this time. And I think she's one of the dancers. I'm not sure. But oh, really? I think she's one of the dancers. Oh, maybe I don't know. Um, uh, and it's a big, huge dance numbers mm-hmm. with African uh, music 
And we should say the composer is uh, Niall. I just drew a blank on Rogers. Niall Rogers. Mm-hmm. And man, he has an interesting history. Oh yeah, Niall is great. Juilliard trained musician who then is huge in disco with Chic. Yep. The, and the freak, the mm-hmm. freak, mm-hmm. And, and Sister Sledge, and then he produces Madonna's first album, produces Let's Dance for David Bowie, produces Diana Ross, produces all these big acts, mm-hmm. and he manages. He has to do a lot of heavy lifting because he has to do very African music, yeah. he has to do classical music, he has to do hip hop, he has to do the Soul Glow song, <laughs> the best, which is awesome. Um, and so after the dance number, Oha breaks into. She's your queen to be. Oh, it's the best. She's your queen to be, a queen to be forever, a queen who'll do whatever His Highness desires. It's the best. Apparently, he did that was his idea. He did it in the improv. It worked. I mean, in the audition. And they went, okay, you got the part. (laughs) The song is crazy. Some of the lyrics are completely free from infection to be used at your discretion, waiting only for your direction. You know what's funny though is that this is although they're making jokes yes. about this stuff, it is the message is this is fucked up. Yes, that is what the message is. That's the inherent thing about the film. Yeah. So whatever your issues are, oh, this is like it doesn't represent or it makes women objects. Yes, but we have no film if Akeem doesn't want to change this tradition. Right. So this tradition must exist so that Akeem want can change it. Yeah. Right. And it does, you know, it doesn't agree with Semi and the King, right? Who think this is all awesome? Exactly. You know. And Akeem is definitely not happy with this whole thing mm-hmm. and asked to talk to her for a minute in private, which is completely breaking the rules. Right. They go off in private. There's a little sight gag with the long train. Oh, right. Um, and what I was thinking that's really interesting about this film is that if you look at the previous Eddie Murphy films, it's him walking in and Eddie murphy it up. Mm-hmm. It's him, you know, 48 Hours is a detective show, right. a buddy movie, where Eddie Murphy brought all this comedy. It wasn't structured as a comedy. Mm-hmm. Beverly Hills Cop was a vehicle for Sylvester Stallone. Right, originally. Originally. So it was supposed to be an action movie. Yeah. And then Eddie Murphy brings all the comedy. Trading Places, He, you know he's improvising a ton of stuff. Eddie Murphy in Coming to America is largely the straight man. He is... A mature actor in this movie. This is where Eddie becomes serious Eddie. This is the moment that he changes from, look at me, I want to get successful, to I am a star. Well, and the comedy, our bits are all happening around Yes. Him. He is not actually mm-hmm. generating most of the comedy in the film. He all, he that Akeem has almost no jokes in the yeah. film. It is when Eddie's dressed up as the barber, as the barber. or the oh, Jewish guy. That's or where anything. he goes full on. That's when he does, yeah. Yeah. But anyway, what he wants to know is he wants to know who she is. Ever since I was born, I've been trained to serve you. Yes, I know this, but I would like to know about you. What do you like to do? Whatever you like. (laughs) And I love his line. Look, I know what I like, and I know you know what I like because you were trained to know what I like, but I would like to know what you like. For instance, do you have a favorite food? Yes. Good. What is your favorite food? Whatever food you like. (laughs) <laughs> and then it gets really rough because she's, you know, basically programmed to yeah. obey him. So he has her bark like a dog. Yep. Hop on one leg. No, a big dog. Yeah. No, an orangutan. 
So now she's hopping on one leg, making monkey noises. And that's when everyone else comes in and she just hops her way out. Yeah. Uh, And now dad wants to go talk to him. So they take a walk past the baby elephants and giraffes and a zebra goes by. I love this. It's very, I don't, the, the vision of Africa in this movie is, I don't think it's offensive, but I think it is ridiculous. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because it's comedy. It's a comedy. Yeah. 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 Uh, he's talking to dad and he's just like, I'm not sure I'm ready. And, and then dad's worried. He's like, well, son, I, I know we never had to talk about this, but I always assumed that you had sex with your bathers. I know I do. (laughs) And he's like, no, I've never, I'm 21. I've never left Zamunda. I've never gone into the outside world. I need to see what it has to offer. And he goes, oh, you want to sow your Royal oats. And now dad's on board. Mm -hmm. Great. Go enjoy yourself. Dad is obsessed with sex. Dad loves it. You're right. Get out. See the world. Enjoy yourself. Fulfill every erotic desire. And in 40 days, you will come back and marry your money. But father. It is settled. Which isn't exactly what Eddie was, Akeem was saying. No, but he'll take it. And we go back to the party and he says, The wedding will proceed in 40 days. You may go home now. Good night. Oha. Prepare the royal baggage. My son is going on a trip. Can I tell you the crazy thought I had? Sure. So Zamunda is a fictitious African country that is apparently the richest country of the world Mm -hmm. because of their diamond mines and they have incredible mineral rights. Zamunda is Wakanda. Yeah. This is Wakanda. Mm -hmm. And they're like, everything is perfect and idealized there. Mm -hmm. Like, I was like, holy shit. Yep. It's Wakanda. It's comedy Wakanda. When I was watching Black Panther, I was like, wait a minute. So you... You wonder if Eddie had, or whoever had this idea, if they had read the Black Panther comic books and had gotten this idea. I wonder. Yeah. Well, and Akeem is a badass. Right. You know? He is. Look at his fighting skills. Yeah. Flipping around, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. He's Black Panther. He could be. This is <laughs> Eddie auditioning for Black Panther. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, and he tells Semi, and Semi's all thrilled. It's excellent. This trip is an excellent idea. 40 days of fornication. Because he's on the same page as the king. Right. Like, he wants to sow his royal oats. Right. Um, and, uh, but that's not what Akeem wants. Simi, I have something else in mind. Tell no one of this. I intend to find my bride. What is wrong with the one you have now? When you saw her tell me you did not want to rip her clothes off right then and there. I want a woman that's going to arouse my intellect as well as my loins. And so they get out a globe. <laughs> and they go, let's go to America. Where should we go? L.A. or New York? <laughs> Pick New York. Where in New York would you find a bride? A culturally sophisticated, perfect woman. Where better than Queens? <laughs> Cut to the airport. Oh. Big flag. They're walking out in their outfits, followed by the flowers. Aren't the flowers? No. What are they followed by? Uh, tons and tons of luggage. Yeah. They did not actually bring the flower bearers because the flower bearers are forbidden. To uh, put flowers at their feet. Yes. And he steps right out of the street, says, Halt! Halt! <laughs> you dumb fuck! Take us to Queens at once. And the cab driver's like, Doesn't you rich guys like you want to go to the Waldorf Astoria or the palace? And Sammy's like, Ye Palace, that sounds good. He's like, No, take us somewhere common. <laughs> oh, well, there are lots of common places in Queens. You know who that is, do right? No. Body by Jake, that's the Body by Jake guy. Oh, yeah! If you remember, funny. for you, for you, you, for you, old people, Body by Jake is a Jake was a guy who like pitched. He was, I think, he was an actor slash comedian, and he pitched 
this whole Body by Jake system that he sold, and it was a big physical fitness phenomenon for a while. That's funny. Yeah. We end up in Queens. Again, the music is great. And, man, they went to some rough parts of town. Oh, yeah. Because they're looking around, and they're seeing the guys, you know, with the fire in the uh, garbage can yeah. and people throwing their garbage in the street. And Akeem loves it. Mm-hmm. Semi hates it. They're shooting up for you. Yes, this is perfect. And they, they go outside, and then the first thing we hear is the sounds coming out of the barbershop. Right. These are the funniest scenes in the movie. Greatest scenes in the movie. Listen. Real Americans. Pound for pound, Sugar Ray Robinson, the greatest fighter ever lived. Oh, come on, man. What about Joe Lewis? The Brown Bomber. Now, that was a great boxer. You damn right. I suppose nobody in here ever heard of Cassius Clay. We got a point. Cassius Clay was a bad motherfucker. They are so great. And what? And this is Rick Baker doing the makeup. Mm-hmm. And this was a revelation for Eddie Murphy because he didn't know that it was really possible to completely transform him. Right. And I mean, he's an incredible mimic, an incredible character creator yeah. anyway. But being able to, I mean, the Jewish guy is astounding. I'm just saying, I stopped liking Cash Clay. Once you change the name to Muhammad Ali, what kind of shit is that? Wait a second. Wait a second. A man has the right. To change his name to whatever he wants to change it to. And if a man wants to be called Muhammad Ali, God damn it, this is a free country. You should respect his wishes and call the man Muhammad Ali. Well, and you saw a sample of this on SNL when he played the white guy. That sketch is that one of the most brilliant sketches in the history of Serenity. Period. And still resonates in 2019. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Just take the paper. Take it. So it's all of what he goes through life, what it's like to spend a day as a white guy the whole time, which is brilliant. Yeah. Oh, it is. a Yeah. I'll put it up on. Uh, yeah, please do. Yeah. I'll put it up on the Facebook page. Such a really sketch. good. Um, yeah. And they go to look at an apartment and there is Frankie Faison. Yeah. Frankie Faison. <laughs> Seen him in lots of stuff. By the way, Eddie was and people need to know this. Eddie Murphy was vigilant once he was able to control his sets. He was very vigilant about having a lot of African-Americans, black people on the sets, mm. working on his movies or being characters in his movies. Very adamant that they were part of his movies. Yet, you don't consider Eddie Murphy's films black movies. Well, that's what's interesting. That's I what's think, incredible about him. I think this movie in particular, I mean, this is really not only a movie about African mm-hmm. characters, but it's entirely in a in a African or African-American world. Yeah. And it doesn't make a big deal about it. Nope. You know, that's why, and it's a, you know, I think this kind of a movie steps things forward a huge way. Agreed. You know? Agreed. Um, and, and in a weird, similar way to things we talked about with Big Trouble in Little China, you know, mm. is that there's a movie where suddenly you're casting all these actors that maybe haven't gotten to work and yep. casting them in all sorts of different kinds of roles. Yep. Um, and what do they want from Frankie Faison? They want meager accommodations. <laughs> so they flash a big roll of money and say, give us meager accommodations. Oh, he'll get them for it. Uh-huh. And he says, okay, you're going to have to share this bathroom. A little bit of an insect problem, but you boys from Africa, you're used to that. It's horrible. Yeah, well, I Look, can't comment on th- it. These are the jokes. These are the jokes. Eddie's in it. Like, I can't say shit. I'm just, we're, as cinephiles, we are merely stating yes. what the jokes are. Yep. There's some that are going to get a lot worse. Mm-hmm. But they're meant. But here's the thing about them. That's meant to be insulting and horrible. We're not supposed to like that joke. Right, right, right. You know what I mean? Because he's a bad guy. We're supposed to go like, what an asshole. Yeah. And then he shows them to their room, which not only has the, the uh, uh, chalk outline of the body, of yeah. the human body and blood on the walls, but the chalk outline of the dog. Damn shame what they did to that dog. Shit, what they did to that dog. 
Yeah. <laughs> and what does Akeem think? Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, he goes out on the fire escape. He loves this. This is what he's wanted. This is real life. Behold, Simi. Life. Real life. A thing that we have been denied for far too long. Good morning, my neighbors. Hey, fuck you. Yes. Yes. Fuck you, too. And Semi, again, great reaction. This is the thing. It's like, it's hard to describe. And this is maybe where the cinephiles does the least good job because so much comedy is reaction shots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that the reaction shot from Semi at this moment is hilarious. Yeah. And I can tell you that it's hilarious, but I can't show you because <laughs> you only hear the beautiful sound of our voice. And on the street, they see a whole bunch of people <laughs> stolen all their clothes. Yep. And some guy tries to sell them some toothbrushes, some gold toothbrushes. <laughs> and Semi's like, that's our stuff. Um, but he doesn't care. No. He doesn't care. And he wants to dress like New Yorkers. So they go get some New Yorker clothes. Some touristy New Yorker clothes. Super touristy. <laughs> They're going to end up in nicer clothes later. Yeah. And then what do they see? In a window, on a TV screen, through the glass, a commercial for Soul Glow. Yeah. Just let your soul glow. Just let your soul glow. Just let it shine through. Again, Nile Rogers. Oh, great stuff. It's great. And this and this is, of course, a reference to Jerry Curl, mm -hmm. which I, I went and did a little research. Ooh. It was invented by a, a hairdresser named Jerry Redding. <laughs> okay. And Jerry Curl, look, I'm not going to get into the politics of African-American uh, hair, yep. but it is considerable. Yes. And certainly Jerry Curl is right in there. Yeah. And uh, ironically, Nile had jerry curl in the sure 70s. yeah well this is the thing and if you want to see a documentary about the you know about hair and the black community there chris rock did a fantastic documentary about yeah. that yeah i can't remember the name of it but you gotta find it it's good it's uh yeah it's really good yeah um it is a it is a fascinating thing which is a white jewish kid i knew nothing about until mm. i was in college uh -huh. yeah uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, it was when I did, because I did that play about race relations, uh, oh. that I, and it was in developing that, that I started to learn, yeah. like, oh, there's all this stuff that I did not, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I didn't know about. And they're back in the barbershop, you know, no, they're still talking about boxes, <laughs> now they're talking about Mike Tyson. <laughs> and this is where you get that great story of Joe Lewis, who apparently fought Rocky Barciano when he was 71. Rocky Barciano? <laughs> Everybody got to bring a one white guy, oh, we got to say Rocky Barciano. Let me tell you something wonderful. Rocky Marciano was good. But compared to Joe Lewis, Rocky Marciano ain't shit. He bit Joe Lewis's ass. That's right, he did whoop Joe Lewis' ass. Joe Lewis was 75 years old when he fought. I don't know how old he was, but he got his ass whooped. Joe Lewis had come out of retirement to fight Rocky Marciano. The man was 76 years old. Joe Lewis always lied about his age. He lied about his age all the time. One time, Frank Sinatra comes out here and sat down in this chair. And I said, Frank, you hang out with Joe Lewis. Just between me and you, how old is Joe Lewis? You know what Frank told me? He said, hey, Joe Lewis, 137 years old. 137 years old. Oh, man, you ain't never meet no Frank Sinatra. Fuck you. Fuck you and fuck you. Who's next? I could watch Eddie Murphy do these characters forever. My God, if this was the whole movie, I, could, oh, yeah. I would have been happy as hell. They're so great. Yeah. 
And Arsenio's really good in it. Arsenio's gives as yeah. good as he gets. And there's the Completely other guy character. who's just a buddy of theirs. Yeah. That, that's the other whose name I don't have. Yeah, that guy never did much after that. But he is so such a great compliment yep. because, A, he's actually the age they're all trying to be. Oh, is he? And yeah. And B, uh, um, it's more na- they don't put any aging makeup on him. He looks natural for hmm. his age. I assume he's a young guy. Oh, well, if he is, he doesn't look. They don't age they him do. up. They age up makeup with Eddie and Arsenio. But what's great is he is a fun fodder for those two guys because totally. he's always like, y'all don't know, y'all talking shit, y'all don't know. Yeah, yeah, it's um, great. And it comes Akeem and Semi because Eddie's going this soul glow thing. This looks good. Maybe I should get that. And they talk him out of it. Yeah, don't do that to your hair, son. But but he is going to cut off his royal uh, what is it called <laughs> ponytail his royal ponytail if they cut him off one snip that'd be eight dollars. <laughs> um, um, is he? Is this? No, no, I guess not. Maybe later. Is this where you get that cameo of the famous actor who's sitting in the barber chair with him? Oh yes, the whole time. Yep, yep. Yeah, I should have mentioned it. Cuba Gooding Jr. Cuba Gooding Jr. is the guy sitting in the barber chair. So. They, they, as we're recording this, a couple of days ago, they announced that they're going to do the sequel. It's confirmed now. They've got a script and blah, blah, blah. It's going to be that he's got a long lost son in New York somewhere, so he has to come back to America to find him. They better go back to that damn barbershop. Oh, yeah. And it better be the sons of those barbers who are in that barbershop, and Cuba Gooding Jr. better still better be in still that barbershop. Sure. <laughs> God damn, he that better have be a cameo awesome. in that barbershop. All right. <laughs> I think it's time to go find our queen. Yes. Let's go to the club. Hey, oh, God, this is great. This is one of the classic, we're going to sit in a chair, yep. and we're going to have one after another of crazy people <laughs> go through. <laughs> who, I, don't, I don't need to go through all of them, but who, is your, who are your favorites? Uh, certainly Arsenio and Drag is one of my favorites. Oh, my God. At that moment, it's just brilliant. I hope you don't mind me coming over and sitting down, but I've been watching you all evening, and I want to tear you apart. And your friend, too. <laughs> the spit take. Um, I I like the twins. The twins are funny. We've got two twins, really, because yes. we have the Siamese twins who were just separated. Oh, that's right. And you have the beatboxing twins. The beatboxing twins. Are, I love my beatboxing twins. My name is Jesus, and I'm the best. All the DJs want to feel my breath. And then uh, who's who's the I forget is the bigger one who's like trying to tell him what to do or something. She, like she, she her thing is I can't find a man that can satisfy me. Now some guys go an hour, hour and a half. That's it. A man's got to put in overtime for me to get off. And then there's the the one who thinks she's Joan of Arc yeah. that's lighting herself on fire, that's and the the one who's going to be a pop singer, maybe an actress, and she's just talking and talking and talking and talking. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're great. So that didn't go well. <laughs> no. And and their their viewpoint on the women in this town have kind of they've gone downhill a little bit. So naturally they go back to the barbershop for advice and they tell them, no, you gotta go to nice where you get nice women. Mm-hmm. Library, church, the black awareness rally. Black awareness rally. But you know, when I look at these contestants uh, for the Miss Black Awareness pageant, uh, I feel good. Uh, I feel good because uh, I know there's a God uh, somewhere. There's a God uh, somewhere. Arsenio is a preacher. That's my favorite of his characters. He's so good. Apparently, Rick Baker based his hair on Al Sharpton. <laughs> <laughs> it's perfect. What he does. A woman like this, uh, I know God is good. Uh, 
<laughs> Which so, is like, you're a terrible person. Yeah. Particularly, you ask them to turn around. I know, right? Looks at their asses and says, yeah. yeah, God is good. There's a lot of objectifying humor in this movie, that's there, for sure. There's no question objectification about it. Objectification, rather. And he is, uh, uh, that's a whole genre, objectification humor. Yeah, sure. Um, and, uh, you know, and he kind of tries to get the crowd riled up, tries to get sort of that good time religion going in the yeah. crowd in order to introduce the musical act. Randy Johnson. Yeah. Randy Watson. Randy Watson. Yeah. Um, Randy Watson. And sexual chocolate. <laughs> God. <laughs> and with the way he's introduced that he played some cop on some show, some random show. It was show. like what's happening or something. Yeah, like there goes my mom. Or there, like, yo, yeah, yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> oh, my God. It feels so lovely to be here tonight. What a beautiful art. Give yourselves a round of applause. You're so lovely. Everyone's so lovely. And um, while you're in the clapping mood, I'd like to give a big round of applause to my band, Sexual Chocolate. And their rendition of Children of the Future. Oh, and Eddie's great. Once again, showing his singing abilities in this situation. I believe the children are our future. Thank you. Teach them well and let them lead the way. Show them all the beauty they possess inside. Uh, for the first time, we see that John Amos is running some concessions, and we see his daughter, Lisa. And sexual chocolate finishes it up with a <laughs> sexual chocolate it's and chocolate. mic drop. Yeah, yeah. Sexual chocolate! It's the foot stomp that's the best. Oh my god! Time. The foot stomp. And it's time for and, and the uh, and the preacher comes back and invites up Lisa McDowell, mm -hmm. and Keem applauds quite a bit for her yeah. as she comes up, and she waves at a guy with a beautiful soul glow hairstyle, mm -hmm. Eric LaSalle. Eric LaSalle. It's so weird because I watched this movie a bunch in the eighties. And then I didn't watch it, and then I started watching ER, yeah. and I'm like, man, this Eric LaSalle guy is great, and he is nothing but serious. He is 100%. The, the, the guy never cracks a smile. He is intense. Yeah. And then I watched Coming to America again and went, oh, because I had no idea they were the same guy. A lot of up-and-coming actors in this, uh, black actors in this oh, movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah, as we go through it. We're going to get, well, we already had Academy Award winning Cuba Gooding Cuba Gooding Jr., right? Probably Emmy Award winning. He must have won an Emmy sure. for LaSalle for sure. ER. Yeah. And, uh, and I mean, the show was on forever. Yeah, well. um, and uh, we're about to get to another one. Mm -hmm. uh, anyway, so she makes her speech, and, and she's talking about, you know, helping the park and helping the kids, and Akeem is completely completely sold yeah they says we're gonna pass around some collection buckets and she does she likes the money that jingles but she really likes the money that folds mm -hmm. get a little sight gag with the barbers who you treat it as a trash can and then akeem asks for some money Simi hands him the whole bill fold yeah and he drops it all in the preacher also at the end gives the address of the restaurant mm -hmm. mcdowell's John, I can't tell you how excited I am about the Cinephile's new sponsor, an absolutely incredible game, Marvel Strike Force. Now, anyone who's listened to the show knows that I've been reading comic books since I was five years old, and this is like a comic book fan's dream come true. You could create a mobile squad and play as your favorite Marvel characters. I mean, everyone is there. The Punisher, Vision, Black Panther, Cap, or even my favorite Marvel character of all time, Daredevil. Your goal is to power up those characters, unlock gear, and use them to compete in player versus player mode, alliance mode, and real-time arena. 
Yes, Steve, and as we speak, they are enjoying their six-year anniversary. Six years, wow. And you know what that means? Free stuff just for signing up via their unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. If you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Completing every single mission throughout the entire anniversary will result in an even more special reward. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out, y'all. Check out that unique promo code, and for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force. We're very, very excited to have you sponsoring this episode. Let's go to McDowell's. Uh, genius. It idea. was built in a closed Wendy's, by the way. <laughs> oh, what's it? Yeah. <laughs> I think it's genius. McDonald's versus McDonald's. By the way, they open up McDonald's every Halloween, apparently, at Fat Sal's over there in Hollywood. Oh, really? Had no idea till this year. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. They sell Soul Glow the whole nine. That is hilarious. Mm-hmm. So, and Keem and Semi, you know, head over for a job, and and they're going to have to sweep walkways and wash windows, and there's a guy out there taking pictures, and John Amos scares him away, and he runs. Um, apparently, uh, they were really worried that McDonald's would not sign off on this. Of course. They were certain it wasn't going to work, and they took the thing to McDonald's. McDonald's loved it. Mm-hmm. They said, this is a great joke, and it's free publicity for us. Yep. And so they were totally fine with it, which is kind of kind of amazing and of course john amos is explaining no they're mcdonald's we're mcdowell's they you know our buns don't have sesame seeds he's talking about all the little differences the whole concept of them just stealing mcdonald's we have the big mac they have the big mac and it's just hilarious um we got a misunderstanding and he, he walks by the grill and he flips some burgers those burgers were not ready to be flipped no. It was too early to flip those burgers. Mm-hmm. Just saying. Oh, oh, I see. Okay. I'm saying they were not cooked enough ready to flip them yet. But expect from fast food, bro. I mean, it's not gonna be properly cooked. I, shit. I, I expect better from McDowell's. Oh, fair, fair, very um, fair. And he asks Hakeem if he's ready to mop. If he knows how to mop, he says, "Yeah, of course." Hands him the mop. He mops with the mop still in yeah. the bucket. <laughs> Classic little sight gag. He is educated. Um, and then in the office, we see Lisa working and Akeem mops past and mops past again. And Hello. Hello. Hi. I am Akeem. It's nice to meet you, Akeem. I have recently been placed in charge of garbage. Do you have any that requires disposal? No, it's totally empty. Well, when it fills up, don't be afraid to call me. I'll come take it out most urgently. That's good to know. When you think of garbage, think of Akeem. <laughs> it's very cute. It is. And it's such a great change. Here's a guy who's like a prince of a country, but here he is nervous about talking to this one girl. It's, I love it. Well, and trying to to connect with her on a way that mm-hmm. he's never had to right. connect with a woman. Right. I mean, the women all came to him yeah. <laughs> before. yeah. And outside, we underneath a Soul Glow billboard, we see a red, I don't know, it's a Firebird or a Trans Am or something, pull up and... The Color of Freedom. (laughs) (laughs) That is a reference to our previous podcast from, I think, Shawshank Redemption Part 2. Yes. So if you haven't listened to that, you can jump back and find out what John's referencing. And there's Daryl, Eric LaSalle, checking himself out in the mirror. 
Uh, he he heads inside, and Cleo, which is John Amos, takes a shake off of some dude's plate and just hands it to him. <laughs> We're in the back, and Daryl's talking up dad, gives him some Jets tickets or something. Yeah. And it is very clear that John Amos really likes this guy. Mm-hmm. We don't really like this guy. No, no, because we see what he's really like. Yeah. And then she asks him a question. She asked, Lisa asked Daryl a question, which is... The other day at the rally, somebody stuffed a large amount of cash into one of the collection boxes. You wouldn't happen to know who that was, would you? Well, I... Uh... I thought it was you! <laughs> you know me. <laughs> Anything for the kids. That is a great asshole intro. Oh, yeah. You're officially like, like oh, I, oh, yeah, I get yeah. this guy. Oh, I totally put all the money. Yeah. Outside, Akeem and Simi are dealing with the garbage. Uh, Daryl asks Akeem to take care of his shake, tosses it to him, spills all over the place. That has to have been improv. That has to have been in some kind Oh, I don't think so. You don't think so? No. Okay. No, it's two shots. Okay, fair enough. No, I don't think it's an improv. That is funny. Um, So we've established what the problem is. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're back at the barbershop where they call uh, Akeem Kunta Kinte. Yes. That's weird. Look, it's a a black... Actors doing another black actor. We can't talk. We can't say anything. To me, it's like, okay. No, I disagree. I think we can say something because that joke is intentionally insensitive. The point of that joke is it's insensitive. Okay. Like when when, um, we'll get to later where Daryl is saying horrible things about Africa. Oh, right. It's to make him seem like a jerk. He's looking like an asshole. Exactly. Is that that we're supposed to judge that joke as insensitive. Okay. You know? This moment, do you think it's being insensitive when he says it? Absolutely. Yeah. Because they don't understand anything about Africa. The barbershop. I mean, that's part of what's being commented on. Okay. I mean, the guys in the barbershop are not the smartest guys in that's the world. That's what I'm saying to, to you. That's what I'm saying to you. You know, so, it's like, we're not, I don't think. But we've seen them as comedy, comedic relief the whole film. So if they're going to make a comment. Well, people can say something that is funny. Mm-hmm. Who is an idiot? Sure. You know, if I, you know, like, and the joke, the joke is not, isn't it funny that called to call him Kunta Kinte? Right. The joke is that. That is a stupid and insulting thing. I can't believe they're calling this prince. And they are so ignorant about what Africa is. And their only experience with Africa, the only thing they know is this name, Kunta Kinte. That's what I think the joke is. You have a problem with what I'm saying now, don't you? Not that I don't have a problem with it. I just don't agree with that that's the joke. I think the joke's intentional to be that they're dumb enough to call him Kunta Kinte. But the joke is still there that they're calling him Kunta Kinte because he's African. No, that is no. I agree. Right. I agree. Right. But I don't think that I don't think it's in, it's in, it's meant to be intentionally insensitive. Well, 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 what I think is is like this is this thing we talked about before. Is mm. like is the character insensitive or is mm. the movie insensitive? Right. And I think the character is insensitive, and the movie is making a joke out of the character's insensitivity. Okay. I don't agree, but okay. All right. Let's move on. Oh, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> We're not going to agree. And now again, he's like, "Let I want to get the soul glow because I want to get this girl. She obviously likes the soul glow thing, so I want to get the soul glow." And and then we go off on a thing about Doctor King, which is completely ridiculous. Man, you ain't met no Doctor the King. Yeah, I met Doctor Martin Luther King in 1962 in Memphis, Tennessee. I walk down the street, mind my own business, just walking off, feeling good. I walk around the corner, man woke up, hit me in my chest, right? I fall on the ground, right? And I look up at Doctor Martin Luther King. I said, "Doctor King." He said, "Oops, I thought you were somebody else." I like that they call him Dr. The King. That's my favorite when he says, you hey, man, no Dr. The King. And there's I walk a- around, knock me down, say, oh, Dr. King. And their solution is that in America, if you want to get a girl, you got to talk to the papa. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Their advice is not great. 
I don't know. I, I think the way he goes about it is not great. But in the end, the oh, it all works out. Great. Yeah, absolutely. It works out. Well, it worked out for him to go to the Black Awareness exactly. Rally. That's too. what I'm saying. Yeah, and everyone in the everyone in the barbershop agrees. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Jewish guy goes like a bird. And so back at McDowell's, he's talking to Dad, uh, and tries to connect with him yeah. about the recent recent football contest. Oh, it was most exhilarating. The Giants of New York took on the Packers of Green Bay. And in the end, the Giants triumphed by kicking an oblong ball made of pigskin to a big H. It was a most ripping victory. <laughs> it was a most ripping victory. <laughs> and what's, what's John Amos's response? Son, I'm just going to tell you this one time. Yes, sir. You want to keep working here. Stay off the drugs. So I love John Amos. Of course. He is so great. Still alive, by the way. And it's going to be in, this, in the sequel I read. Yeah. He, is oh, yes. Attached. Yes. he is attached. He is attached. And he is so great playing serious roles. He's fantastic in the West Wing. Mm-hmm. And he, But we have to remember, like, his you know, origin is good times. Yep. Doing comedy. And he, he is doing a lot in this movie. Oh, yeah. He is acting it up. Mm-hmm. Um, He's very funny. Yeah. And oh, we also should say that the other guy working at the uh, McDowell's is... Louis Anderson. Louis Anderson. So there are a lot of funny people in this. Still working as well. Yeah. In baskets. Have you watched that? I hear it's great. Yeah, I've watched a couple episodes. It's a acquired taste. It sounds painful. It is painful, but it's an acquired taste. Yeah. And what he says as he looks out the window is that the, you know, it's people with money that get the girls. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's Lisa kissing Daryl. And Akeem asks, well, we must work very hard. It's like, no, he gets all his money from Soul Glow, mm-hmm. from his dad. Back at the McDowell house, we have Lisa's sister. Who looks like Shuri. Mm-hmm. Kind yeah. of mind-blowing. And there's a, a doorbell, and there is a guard, and someone delivering a package, and they open up the package, and there's a jewelry box, and inside are big diamond earrings. Mm-hmm. And like, think that's real? It couldn't be. And the sister has got a an attitude yeah, of about certain things, sure. and she believes he must, she must be fooling around. Mm-hmm. Because the note says... From an admirer, not Daryl. I don't care how much a man admires you. He's not going to give you earrings like that unless you're giving him a little booty. Not everybody thinks like you, Patrice. Yes, they do. They just don't admit it. We're out window washing back at the restaurant, and Semi is getting upset because he has not had sex since they got to America. And Akeem goes to talk to Lisa. Good. Tell her you sent her the $500,000 pair of earrings, then she will fall into your arms and we can leave this godforsaken place. And But no, he can't do that because he wants to find her way into her heart. And he goes talk and talks to Lisa and the sister is there mm-hmm. and they ask, what, what do you do in New York? Oh, I'm going to school. What school? The University of the United States. <laughs> I never heard of that. Well, it's a very small university. We do not even have a basketball team. (laughs) (laughs) And they mentioned we got a ticket to this basketball game. Why don't you double date with me and Daryl? Yeah. Okay. At the game. Daryl is a very aggressive cheerer. Yeah. And he is wearing some weird stuff. I was like, what is He's like a cloak and there's like tassels and I don't know. Man. Very strange. Strange outfit. And this is where those jokes are just. Yeah terrible yeah you know wearing clothes must be a new experience for you well he senses that akeem is a threat to him and what he's got with lisa 
he senses that Akeem is a bit of, so he starts to do that man thing that men do when they're competing for a woman, denigrate the other guy somehow or embarrass the other guy. Well, and it's both denigrate the other guy and just this completely uh, ignorant horribleness about what Africa must be like. Right. You know, what games do you play? Chase the monkey? Yeah. Purposeful ignorance. Horrible. Horrible. And while he's kind of cutting him down and Akeem is trying to cheer and look like Mm -hmm. he knows what's going on. Patrice, the sister, slips her hand onto his thigh <laughs> under his coat. Right. And in the middle of halftime, he leaps up saying, Yes! 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 yes. <laughs> and then while still covering his crotch with his coat, he excuses himself. Yep. Heads off to the restroom, and while in a huge line for the restroom, someone sees him, jumps down at his ground, and starts bowing to him because, of course, he's a prince. He's a prince. And then brings up another friend to take his picture with him. And this is the greatest moment of his life. And as the two friend, the two guys are bowing to them and walking away, who walks up but Lisa and Daryl. Who was that? Just the man I met in the restroom. <laughs> Great joke. Yeah. By the way, that actor is Bondi Curtis Hall. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's hilarious. Yeah. Like I said, a lot of up-and-coming actors in this movie. Yeah. Um, back at the restaurant... Daryl wants her to quit her job because her lady shouldn't work and he should just take care of her. And uh, she said, he's like, I'll get anything for you. And she says, well, get me a coffee. <laughs> so he heads off to get a coffee. And as he does that, uh, Akeem uh, kind of mops his way over and sits down and they kind of talk a little bit. And she's intrigued by him. Yeah. You know, you're a very unusual guy. I've never seen anybody take so much pride in mopping a floor. He who would learn to fly one day must first learn to stand and walk. One cannot fly into flying. That is not mine. That is Nietzsche's. <laughs> um, and she says, most people don't quote Nietzsche. Uh-huh. And just as they're talking about Nietzsche, who walks in, but our another great actor, <laughs> Sam Jackson. We've had so much movies of Samuel Jackson before, because we had Goodfellas, yep. we had Jurassic Park, mm-hmm. all right up in this, you know, in this era. And he pulls out a shotgun to rob the place. And yeah. I think we all know what's going to happen in right. this moment. All right, everybody shut up and do what I say. Get the money out. Stay cool. Nobody gets hurt. And it's funny, too, because there's another movie where a guy in a, in a long coat pulls out a shotgun and Eddie Murphy takes him out. And that's Beverly Hills Cop at the strip right. club. Yep. And this is the same thing happens. He kind of walks up to him, talks to him. It would be wise for you to put the weapon down. Who the fuck is this asshole? I've warned you. I'll be forced to thrash you. Fuck you. And then disarms him. He's on the ground. Semi jumps over a counter, grabs the, the shotgun. The Sam Jackson pulls a knife. No, nothing doing. Freeze, you diseased rhinoceros pizzle. And the moment's over. Yeah, it's awesome. And later on, I think Cleo, which is John Amos, is starting to warm up to them a little. He yep. thanks this Af- what he calls his African connection. And he invites him to the house on, on Sunday. Little do they know. Yeah. Akeem goes, see, it's working. He's seen us as equals. Yeah. Cut to the house. They're dressed as parking attendants. Yep. <laughs> oh, and wow. freezing. Yeah. Uh, invites Akeem inside. Semi is not happy. No. He does a lot of glowering in this movie. <laughs> uh, he shows him around the house, which he's really proud of because he worked his way up from nothing. He was nine kids living in a shack. You know, in 20 or 30 years with hard work, Maybe you could have a place like this for yourself. Again, a great reaction yeah. from Eddie Murphy. 
That would be something. And he puts him behind the bar and says he wants to fill champagne. And the party starts. And the preacher, of course, is there. John Amos is working the room. And Daryl comes over to the bar. And he comes up to Eddie. And he's trying to save a little manhood. Yeah. I totally appreciate how you handled that guy. I'd have helped you out. But, you know, I had a coffee in my hand. And then again, he ruins it. It's like, do you learn that stuff fighting lions and tigers and shit? Yeah, yeah. Awful. And then it gets and gets then it gets worse. Yes. Yes, where I'm from, we have to be very aggressive. You know, I'm all for that. Especially with women. You know, they may not admit it, but they all want a man to take charge. Tell them what to do. Well, and this is what we said before, is that this movie is about exposing the horribleness of that sentiment. Right. You know, and so because he's the bad guy. You know, and those sentiments that we already saw when we were in Zamunda are also ones of traditions that need to be changed. Yeah. You know, and now John Amos wants to make sure that everyone's champagne glass is going to be full because we're going to have a very special announcement. And he asks for everyone's attention. He pulls Daryl's parents over. They're all standing up. Daryl's standing next to him. And he says, now, as you all know, Daryl and Lisa have been going together for quite some time. And Lisa looks up and she is totally confused. Mm hmm. Well, I'm pleased to announce that just a few moments ago, Daryl here popped the big question. And Lisa happily accepted. Again, Lisa looks not just confused, but pissed. Yep. As it turns out, this has become an engagement party. And he raises a toast to the bride and groom, and everyone toasts. This is so fucked up. <laughs> What person thinks this is a good idea? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's probably happened a lot. Some, I guess. Some people, man. Well, he did just say that women like men to take charge and I tell guess. them what to do. Yeah. Well, he just did it. Yep. She grabs Daryl. Mm -hmm. drink, <laughs> slams a couple of drinks. And Lisa and Daryl are in the room. And she just lays into him. Mm -hmm. And he tries to say something, tries to reach out to her. She's like, don't you touch me. And she walks out. Yep. And I love to, but he says, baby, it's our engagement party. <laughs> oh. Good comedies have good villains. Yes. And and Daryl's a good one. Yeah. Um, and she's out on a swing and a king comes out. He brings her a jacket. Very sweet. Mm -hmm. She asks him to sit down. He sits down very properly. She says, look, if you're going to talk to me, you're going to have to learn to relax. I love Eddie Murphy does a perfect little slump. Yeah. And then relaxes. And then they talk about it. Are you all right? I'm fine. I'm just not going to be pressured into marriage. Not by Daryl or my father or anybody. I understand completely. In my country, they arrange many marriages, and I don't feel anyone should get married out of obligation. You're right. I mean, how could I have even considered marrying a guy like Daryl? I wanted the same thing. It's a nice little scene. Feels a connection with her in there. Yeah. And she, she does, too, because she says... You know, you're very easy to talk to. I feel like I could tell you anything. And then right as we're about to connect, out comes the sister. We need more champagne. <laughs> and I love Akeem's response. I almost forgot that I was here in a domestic capacity. <laughs> I love the I love the way they wrote his character yeah. and the way he delivers those lines with that sort of heightened way of speaking. It's very noble, too. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. Mm -hmm. It's the next morning. Akeem is trying to wake Semi up, but he doesn't want to go to work. He is pretty done. And Akeem's like, no, we can't afford to make Mr. McDowell mad. I, I'm making progress. I'm sick of living like a peasant. Look at this filth. You want to live better? Fine. Fix this place up. But you are going to work today. And we're back at the restaurant. 
And Louis tells his Louis Anderson tells his future. It's like <laughs> I started on cleanup just like you guys, but now, see, I'm washing lettuce. Soon I'll be on fries, then the grill. A year or two, I make assistant manager, and that's where the big bucks start rolling in. I think he's going to make it. I have a lot of faith in Louis. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh my um, God! If Louis shows up as the owner of some conglomerate. Later on in the sequel. Oh my god! <laughs> I hope so. Yeah, it'd be I great. Be brilliant. Uh, I, I wonder what's happened to McDowell. <laughs> yeah, let's find out. I mean, I, I'm assuming he got some Zamunda investment. Yep. He probably opened up all over Zamunda. It's probably all over the world. Yeah. We're talking to Lisa, and she's kind of going through that she stayed with him because she's expected, and then she feels bad because she's talking so much about Daryl. Why don't you come to my house and I'll fix you dinner? Patrice will be there. <laughs> Let us go to my house. Why? Well, I'd like to cook for you. You cook? I dabble a little, yes. Great. Tell you what, I'll buy the groceries. Fine. But I have to warn you, my home is very poor. I don't care about that. I'd love to see where you live. And there's just a great connection, mm -hmm. great smile. It's a nice love story. Yep. And we're heading into the apartment. He said, talks about his humble abode. He opens up the door a crack. He looks inside. <laughs> And there is Semi in a hot tub in the obviously redecorated apartment. I don't know how he did all that in 24 hours or less. Well, listen, if um, if Rodney Dangerfield can turn a dorm into a suite and back to school, then I think Semi could do this as well. I guess so. I love that movie. It's got to be like the fifth time we brought up back yeah, to school. we got to do back we'll to do school. We'll do it. We'll, we'll do it soon, I think. Um, You're a melon. Yeah. <laughs> and... Uh, of course, Akeem is pissed, and he, he goes inside. Uh, Semi has a big stack of money, which he grabs, throws it into a McDowell's bag, walks outside and says, I am very sorry. Can we go in now? Oh, no, we cannot. Why not? There is a rat, a big rat inside. You know what I think? I think there is no rat. I think you're just so ashamed of your apartment, you can't even let me see it. Once again, you have judged correctly. And they're walking along the water in New York, and we see the Twin Towers in the background, yeah. which is always, every time I see it in a movie now, is always something. It is. And sees a homeless guy <laughs> and drops that money for them. I love this joke. And, Mortimer. And it is Ralph and Mortimer Duke. Yep. I'm sorry, Randolph. Randolph and, and, and Mortimer, Mortimer Duke. Yeah. The Duke brothers. Randolph. Leave me alone, Mortimer. Randolph, Randolph! Look. Mortimer, we're back. Apparently, this was Ralph Bellamy's idea. Oh, that brilliant. he's the one who wanted to bring back the characters. What? And it was super cold. These guys are in their 80s. Yeah. And everyone was really worried about them. And of course, Don Amici and Ralph Bellamy are having a Ball. I'm sure they loved it. So now these universes are connected. I love that. That's what's crazy. What I what I think is weird is they don't look up at Eddie Murphy and go, "It was you." <laughs> well, because he's a different. He's carrying himself completely differently. He's not Valentine. He's not Valentine. What? What? How great would it be if they connect them in the sequel? Well, like those, Dan Aykroyd shows up as I. I would be awesome. Yeah, or Jamie Lee Curtis too, right? Well, sure. Everything's in play at this point. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Okay. It's a universe. And now we have a nice, lovely dinner where they're sitting and talking, and and she's asking about why he came, and he speaks very poetically, which she really likes the way he, that he speaks. Yeah. 
And then as they're in the middle of an intimate moment. Thank you. Thank you very much. Let's have lunch. Bang, bang, bang on the window. And they're Mortimer and Randolph Duke thanking him. And she's like, you have the craziest effect on people. People love you. I bet where you're from, women practically throw themselves at your feet. Why do you say that? Because you have a a kind of inner glow, like you're above anything petty. It's almost regal. (laughs) Because he's a prince. Yep. You know? And she asks what he does, and he comes up with goat herd. Yeah. A very well-educated goat herd. And the music starts, and he asks if they want to dance, and they dance to to be loved and it is lovely and romantic and she asks what about patrice i am not interested in patrice what about daryl i am not interested in daryl either (laughs) uh and they kiss Over at the Western Union office, <laughs> Simi has put together a telegram yeah. and puts it, gives it to the clerk, and she's like, you really want to send this? And he asks her to read it. To His Majesty King Joffrey Jaffer, the Royal Palace, Zamunda. Sire, Akeem and I have depleted our funds. Kindly send 300000 American dollars immediately, as we are in dire straits. Your humble servant... Semi. 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 Should I make it 400,000? You think that'd be enough? You are right. 500,000. <laughs> Man, they got a lot of money in Zamunda. Okay, well, you know, yeah. natural minerals. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, back at the apartment, Patrice walks in on Semi yeah. to find out what's going on. And she sees all the stuff and she's like, what are you, are you guys stealing? What's, what's the deal here? Mm-hmm. We're back with Akeem, who is now singing to be loved at the top of his lungs, yep. despite all the the neighbors yelling at him. And he walks into the apartment and he finds Semi and Patrice on the bed. Semi told me everything. Sorry things didn't work out between you and me, but you understand. Good night, sweet prince. <laughs> <laughs> because he told her he was the prince. Yep. <laughs> Another great reaction shot from Eddie. Mm-hmm. Back at McDowell's, uh, John Amos has got some flowers because Daryl is really working back to getting her good graces. And this is where John Amos is a complete jerk, mm-hmm. you know, because now does she tell him that she didn't know that he was proposing? Probably. And he's still saying he's a great guy. Well, because it's about the money. Yeah. He, I mean, look, he, like he told you at the beginning of the movie or in the movie, right? He came from a shack with nine yep. kids. So to him, it's about upward mobility. You deal with a little bit of the hits so you get upwardly mobile. Right. Which a lot of parents, you know, sure. think. Um, well, and the great thing is, is he's going to have a re- great redemptive moment yes. later on in the movie. Yes. Um, and she doesn't want to see Daryl. She's going off to, to a museum with Akeem, mm-hmm. and he is not happy about that. And back to Simi, and the landlord enters, uh, and they say, we want to change apartments. I'll tell you what. I'm going to let you boys stay in my apartment, and I'll move up here. Does your apartment look poor? Yeah, it's a real shithole. You'll love it. <laughs> outside Akeem goes down and talks to some little kids I have a date with Lisa isn't that wonderful uh, in love Eddie is cute but there's a problem <laughs> I 
hear that great African music, yep. and we're cut to the police escort and a few limousines, including one that has the King of Zamunda, James Earl Jones, is coming. And that is a good oh shit. And I love all the neighbors' reactions to these guys coming in. We're in the barbershop, and in comes the king, who is announced by Oha. And there's some jokes about his outfit. And yeah. is that velvet? What is that, velvet? <laughs> um, he says he's come for his son, Akeem, and they tell him, oh, he lives upstairs on the fifth floor. They go upstairs, open up the apartment, and there's Faison in the hot tub. <laughs> um, and they are looking for Akeem. And they see the employee in the month poster. And, and again, he, Akeem is working? And they also hear that they switch rooms and he's downstairs. So they go downstairs, knock on the door. A city opens it, yeah. screams. Seven, just, ah! <laughs> ah! Great. Slams the door, opens it again. And of course he came because he got the telegram. Your only job was to look after Akeem. How could you let him come to such a pass? Akeem will not listen to me. He's gone quite mad, your majesty. And I love... Um, James Earl Jones says, you have disgraced yourself and must be punished. You will confine yourself to our royal suite at the Waldorf Astoria. Great reaction from Arsenio. And see that he puts on some decent attire. And I want you to bathe him thoroughly. <laughs> Again, great, great reactions. Yes. At the museum, we see a mask of Zamunda. And they're talking about it. And he says she would love it. And then he sees something. He grabs her and kisses her because... Right next to that mask is a picture with the royal family, yep. including him. He's like, we got to get out of here. Again, we hear the music and the uh, limo moving, and we've got John Amos on the phone talking to Daryl, saying, hey, we're going to get this back together, show up at the place tonight. And then Louis comes and says, there are people here to see you. And the people, of course, are the king and queen of Zamunda. Yep. And Oha introduces them, and he says, looking for my son, Akeem. Well, that's it for John Amos. Yeah, he's good to go. Okay. <laughs> he's changed his mind now. Yeah, completely flips to the other side. <laughs> says that he's with his daughter, Lisa. James Earl Jones says they're at the Astoria. And he makes sure, like, tell me when you see them, but don't tell them. Yeah. Because they don't want to tip them off. And he hands off some, uh, Oha hands off some money to him. as like a tip. Yeah. And what's on the money? Uh, Akeem. <laughs> Akeem, because yeah. he's the prince. <laughs> The cab with Akeem and Lisa pull up in front of the apartment, and what do they see in front of the apartment? It's a bunch of rose petals. Yeah. Uh-oh. And again, he can't let her in. Mm -hmm. um, and he says, I'll take you home. And they go back to the McDowell's. And now, John Amos is thrilled to see him. Look who's here. Akeem, it's good to see you. Let me get you some drinks. Let me get you some hors d'oeuvres. Let me take care of you. <laughs> They're like, what the hell is going on here? Right. And he runs off to the phone and calls the uh, the Waldorf Astoria. I love how he talks to him. Yeah, hello, King. Yeah, Cleo McDowell here. <laughs> yeah. And then comes back out. Now, now, of course, he has to stall them. And he is uh, talking to them. And there is a doorbell ring. <laughs> and this is a class. See, what's interesting about this movie is it's not Eddie Murphy being funny. It's yeah. structural humor. Yeah. So this is a structural bit, which is the doorbell rings. Excuse me, I'll be right back. A piece of music plays. We cut to the dog who gives a look. He goes to the door, opens the door. It's Daryl with flowers, slams the door closed, comes back, says it was nothing. Well, who was that? Um, Jehovah's Witness. <laughs> Excuse me. The doorbell rings again. The same piece of music plays. The same cut to the dog. He goes back to the door, opens it up. I said go away, slams it closed. Look, the girl doesn't like you anymore. Can't you get that through your greasy head? But you told me to come over and... 
comes back to the thing. Now there's a knock on the door, the same music, the same cut to the dog. It happens four times. Mm-hmm. And the fourth time, finally, he sicks the dog on him. Yeah. <laughs> and he falls down. And the dog is outside. And he throws a punch at the dog, by yeah. the way, as yeah. the door slams. So that's like structural comic beats. But Akeem's like, I got to go. And he's he, like, knows, he senses what's going on. Well, I don't know as much that he senses what's going on with that. Do you think he knows that dad knows? He, yes. Oh, I didn't think of that. Didn't oh, yeah, me. of course. That's, I think that's why he wants to go and short circuit it. Yeah. I think he just is like, I have to go deal with my dad. I have to go to the, the hotel and talk right. to my father. Right. But you could be right, actually. That's a good point. Mm. And Lisa's like, is, what's wrong? And he says, I promise I will tell you when the time is right. But now I must go. And dad's got pigs and blankets, but that's not going to keep him here. Mm-hmm. And he's gone. And dad's like, I like the boy. And Lisa's is like, yeah. what is happening? And pushes him and pushes him. And he's like, not going to say, not going to say. And then he just explodes. explodes. He's rich. He's rich. He is rich. What? He's got his own money. And baby, when I tell you he's got his own money, I mean the boy has got his own money. John Amos is hilarious. And of course, we expect her, he expects her reaction to be thrilled. Right. She is not thrilled. Mm-hmm. She is upset. She goes to the window. We hear thunder and lightning, and she is pissed. Mm-hmm. Out back in Manhattan, he gets uh, Akeem gets out of the cab. He runs into the Waldorf Astoria, goes up to the Royal Suite, and finds Simi, who has gotten out of his bath. <laughs> yeah. I think he's probably much relieved. Yeah. And he he's like, where are my parents? And they're like, oh, they went to the McDowell's. And he's like, well, we got to go to the McDowell's. They head back. Back at the McDowell's house, in come the royal family mm-hmm. <laughs> asking where Akeem is. And uh, John Amos is trying to keep it all together. Uh, he just stepped out. Probably went for a pizza. <laughs> you know these youngsters. And then he's, I love when he talks to the queen. He's like, I don't know whether to shake your hand or kiss it or bow or what. <laughs> I feel like breakdancing. <laughs> Just weird shit. It's weird, but funny. Um, and he offers her a seat, puts her in the lazy boy, puts her feet up, which is somewhat shocking. Great reaction shot. Offers the pigs and blankets, but the king is not interested. You told me my son was here. You know, my daughter Lisa might know where he went. Akeem and Lisa have gotten quite close. Where is your daughter? I must speak to her at once. Goes up to the room um, and says, I understand you're seeing my son. I was seeing him. Then he must have told you about his wife in Zamunda. He's married? No, but he will be soon. We've already chosen his bride. So you see, he could not be at all serious about you. Akeem came to America to uh, sow his royal oats. Yeah. Not cool. Nope. What a jerk. Mm-hmm. Just terrible. And she runs out. But he was operating under the misconception that Akeem left him with, which is that he was going to sow his wild oats. Well, that's not what Akeem said, though. But well, it's what the king assumed. It's and what Akeem he assumed. Akeem didn't correct him. True. So there's a little yeah. bit of blame on Akeem's fault for this. But yes, well, he but, is being clumsy in this portray- in this approach to uh, Lisa. But the... um disrespect that daryl shows to africa right is equal to the disrespect that the king shows Thoroughly. to the common quote quote unquote common people right. of new york right yeah because what happens next is there's actually a really nice moment with john amos kind of introducing himself to the queen who seems like a nice lady yes uh, are you comfortable miss uh, uh i'm not sure what to call you my name's cleo it is very nice to meet you, Cleo. My name is Aeolion. Like, she doesn't put on the airs that King Joffrey does. Right. She's kind of 
charmed by this strange man. I mean, I don't know that she's ever met any man like Mr. McDowell. Well, if you if you regress this back to tradition, she was also from birth prepared for Joffrey. Right. So therefore, how much exposure has she had to the outside right. world? Not much. So her desire to connect with someone who's regular and human and not in service to the king, she must be enjoying that moment. Well, this is the thing about there are people who when raised within a certain worldview, Mm -hmm. have a very, very hard time and don't want to be confronted with people that aren't like them. They don't like it. And there are some people who, when they go out into the world, they go, oh, this is awesome. And I think the queen is clearly someone who was excited. Like, I think that whatever the part of Akeem Mm -hmm. that wanted to go see the world, that didn't want to be treated like royalty, that came from mom. Yep, agree. You know, because dad is like semi. He's like, this is how it is. It's awesome. You know, because yeah. I'm the king, and why wouldn't anyone? Why would want anyone want anything different from this? Right. And anybody that is of a different social standing is obviously inferior. Mm-hmm. I mean, he doesn't care about the fact that he scared the crap out of the flower bearers when he said they would face my punishment. Right, it would never have occurred to the king, whereas that would have occurred to Akeem. Yeah. So he comes back in. Lisa comes back. She comes through, and the queen notices she's upset and asks if she's all right. Again, showing her kindness. Mm-hmm. And Lisa heads out. And in comes the king, and this is the first moment that we see from from John Amos a different attitude. Yeah. What'd you say to my daughter? I told her the truth, that Akeem could not be interested in her. How can you be so sure? Oh, come now. Our son cannot consort with such a girl. Ooh. (laughs) Here we go. Man. Mm -hmm. Hey, now, wait a minute. And he calls to Oha, who pulls out the checkbook. I know you have been inconvenienced, and I'm prepared to compensate you. Shall we say one million American dollars? No way. Very well, then, two million. You haven't got enough money to buy my daughter off. That's great. Yep. Because what have we seen of this character for the entire film? He's been kind of money hungry, yeah. All he cares about is money. And the whole film, he's been willing, I think, to deceive himself mm-hmm. that he could, he, that Lisa could be happy and that could, there could be money there. Right. But the minute that his daughter is upset or hurt, uh-huh. fuck no. Right. Great. And of course, the king doesn't believe it. He says, nonsense. Joffy, apologize to Mr. McDowell. I will do no such thing. The man is beneath me and so is his daughter. Oh, man. There's an Amos just saying. <laughs> Amos is like, Amos regresses back to that kid in the shack when nine kids. He's like, Let's, we're going to throw down now. Yeah. now. I don't give a damn who you are. This is America, Jack. Now you say one more word about Lisa here, and I'm going to break my foot off in your royal ass. Royal. That is awesome. I love Joffrey. I love James Earl Jones' eyes going up like of shock. <laughs> it's such a great moment. And I think the queen loved this. Yeah. I think she loved hearing this. I'm sure she because you know what? To say it to him. Some people times. need that to be said to them. Yeah. I mean, let's be real clear. Truth. And then that's when the sister comes in, like wondering what's everyone yelling about. And that's they that's when she finds out that no, no, Semi wasn't the prince. You mean Akeem's the prince? Yeah. And he's in love with Lisa. How come she always gets the good ones? Um, and, and now, speaking of which, in comes Semi and Akeem. Yeah. And, and throughout this whole awkward scene, there are reaction shots from the dog, mm-hmm. who somehow got back inside after being outside, <laughs> but that's okay. Yeah, she, um, he finished beating up Daryl. Good. Well, maybe when Lisa walked through the door. True. That's a good point. And we, we want to know where Lisa is. Your daddy here just ran her off. What did you tell her? It is of no consequence. We shall return to Zamunda at once. I will not leave without Lisa. So you do care for her? 
Mother. I love her. Then go after her. And he kisses his mother. And Joffrey forbids him to go. <laughs> and what's her response? Put a sock in it, Joffrey. The boy is in love. The boy is in love. <laughs> Again, a look from the dog. <laughs> and out goes Akeem. We see Lisa running in the rain. Patrice goes back to her room. And Daryl enters her room, soaking wet and looking very sad. Lisa dumped me. Poor thing. The first thing we have to do is get you out of these wet clothes. <laughs> so I think we know where that story is going to go. She's the true opportunist. Yeah. And I, maybe they'll be very happy. Maybe. It's a better match than with Lisa. Sure. Um, and Akeem spots Lisa. I can't. How do you spot someone <laughs> in New York City? Yeah. That's amazing. But it's a movie. And Oha waits with the umbrella and she runs down towards the subway and he follows. She, uh, he jumps the turnstile. We go down to the platform. She gets on the train. He gets on the train. We're in the train and he confronts her and he says, Lisa, please. I did not mean to hurt you. Well, at least I know who gave me these. Well, you can keep them because I don't want them. And I don't want you. He throws the earrings and he does a nice catch. Yeah. A real nice catch on the earrings. And then this is a really lovely scene, I think. Mm -hmm. A very romantic scene. What about the woman you're supposed to marry? I do not love her. Why do you think I came to America? Oh, your father told me to sow your royal oats. Oh, no. I came to America to find my bride. I came to Queens to find you. So why did you lie to me, then? Why didn't you just tell me you were prince? Because I wanted you to love me for who I am. And here's the thing. So... We've said that Eddie Murphy had a big, big ego, mm -hmm. particularly at this time, but he's got to be going through the same thing. Mm -hmm. I am sure women were throwing themselves at Eddie Murphy like crazy. Of course. But did they know him? You know, you said when we did Shawshank, people go to bed with Gilda and they wake up with me, right. Rita Hayworth. Rita Hayworth. Same with Eddie Murphy, mm -hmm. is that they see this star, this hilarious guy, yeah. and but did they know Eddie Murphy? Right. And I don't know if he was thinking about that when he was playing this part, but this scene is really sweet. Mm -hmm. You know, he doesn't want it to matter that he's a prince. And she goes, it shouldn't. And that's when she starts to soften a little. Mm -hmm. Just tell me you didn't love me when you thought I was a goat herder. And I will never bother you again. But she can't do that. You want me to renounce my throne? I will. And he does. Yeah. He I don't know if it's legal to renounce your throne in a subway. I mean, it depends, I suppose, on which train you're on. I think you have to have a witness. So he had they witnesses. had witnesses. Yeah, so they're good to go. All right, so I, I think we're, we're kind of done. Yeah. Um, and she's like, I can't let you do that. I do not care about my crown. What I care about is you. Marry me, Lisa. Great reactions from all the passengers. Yeah. Go on, honey. Take a chance. But she can't. She says, I'm sorry, and she says goodbye, and she walks out. And then there's this cute small woman who says... If the offer's good, I'll, I'll marry you. I'll marry you. And what does he do? Gives her the rings. He gives he her the earrings, the earrings yeah. yeah. Um, but she's gone. And we're outside the Waldorf Astoria, and the cars are loading up, and um, Akeem and Simi are in the back of a car, and <laughs> Simi says, well, at least we learned how to make French fries, <laughs> which I think is a useful skill. Sure. I mean, French fries are delicious. Sure. I don't know how McDowell's compare to McDonald's French fries. Cars pull away and we're in the king's car and he turns to his wife and says, you're still not speaking to me. I only want our son to be happy. And so do I. Alien, please. It is out of our hands. The girl told him no. Well, after the way you treated her, who could blame her? 
Even if she said yes, they still could not marry. It is against the tradition. Well, it is a stupid tradition. Who am I to change it? I thought you were the king. And a great look. Now we're back in Zamunda, and it's a wedding. Yep. Big, huge wedding ceremony. Um, and we see uh, a king standing there waiting and not looking very happy. Mm-hmm. The bride is coming down the aisle in what I think is a really ugly pink dress. <laughs> wow. It's just my okay. don't like that dress. Um, <laughs> and she arrives. And, of course, he thinks it's going to be the woman that he's yeah. been assigned to. And he's kind of reconciled to that. And he turns and lifts her veil. And, of course, it's Lisa. Lisa. Yeah. Great reaction. Turns and looks up at his his parents big smiles from them they smile back and there's john amos <laughs> standing next to the throne which is awesome huge huge kiss and nonoha says your highness we have not come to that part yet your highness your highness and it's after the wedding and akeem and lisa are going away in a carriage and simi's flirting with is it the the actual person he was supposed to marry? yeah i think so yeah yeah and uh, and Lisa asks, you're saying you'd really give all of this up for me? Of course. If you like, we can give it all up now. Nah. <laughs> nah. Nah. <laughs> and great looks from John Amos, and we go into our credits. Yeah. And in the credits, of course, we end up seeing all the characters that they played. And yeah. we have one more bit in the barbershop where Jewish guy tells this joke about the soup. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. No, where's the spoon uh-huh. what do you know from funny you bastard <laughs> um so we've reached the end yeah. of coming to america it was the uh third highest grossing film of the year it was a big hit uh two academy award nominations for costumes and makeup which mm-hmm. it did not win and then there is a lawsuit yeah which is that Art Buckwald sued Paramount. Oh, right. It was Buckwald. Because, and it's right. funny. So he said in 1982. The crotchety old know that I didn't know the details. Um, is yeah. that in 1982, he sold a treatment to Paramount about a rich, despotic African potentate who comes to America for a state visit. Uh, and Paramount optioned it. This is the part I didn't know. Yeah. They attached John Landis to direct and Eddie Murphy to star in it. Wow. Yeah. See, I didn't know they were actually attached to it. Huh. It ended up in development in hell, and it was abandoned in 1987 is when they finally dropped it. Hmm. This movie's made in 1988. Right. When Eddie Murphy calls him and says, I have an idea for a movie. <laughs> uh, they won the lawsuit. Buckwald, Buckwald? Buckwald did. Oh, yeah. They got He got $150,000, and the producer got $750,000. That's it? Yeah. From a movie that made probably hundreds of millions yeah. of dollars. Yeah. But still, but they did win the lawsuit. I guess. John, let me give my final thoughts first. Sure. So it's a really funny movie. It's very much an 80s movie. Some of the jokes are ones that like I don't think land quite as well. Mm-hmm. But what I'm sort of fascinated by is putting this extremely funny person in the center of a movie where the jokes are all structural. You know, and the and you know, John Amos is doing a much funnier performance than Eddie Murphy is mm-hmm. as the character of Akeem. Mm-hmm. And then you have these moments in these makeup things where they he can bust out. And it's funny, we talked about this way back when we did the Nutty Professor, Jerry Lewis, mm-hmm. is that that's one of the people that was one of Eddie Murphy's heroes. And doing this in the barbershop scenes, 
this leads to him actually doing Nutty Professor mm -hmm. a few years later. So I think it's a it's not my favorite Eddie Murphy movie, but I think it's a really funny movie, and it's funny in relationship to doing Blues Brothers, which is a big musical with all these numbers from John Landis. Right, is you see some of that stuff in here, and you get all of these great supporting players like Arsenio Hall, mm -hmm. like James Old Jones, like John Amos, that are really, really good. And man, I could watch the barbershop scenes all day. I literally could watch just a whole movie of that. Mm -hmm. How about you? I'm trying to, I'm looking something up real quick to see if I'm right, because my thought on this is that it is the most human John Landis film ever directed mm. by him. And I'm looking through to see- Totally, if, has to be. I feel like it is because, and I think this is the combo of Eddie with- John Landis. Eddie has this inclination to go towards uh, the more human aspects of comedy, uh, to find them, right? Even in 48 Hours, which is a very brutal film and has some funny moments, it's about the relationship between him and right. Nolte. We look at uh, Beverly Hills Cop. Why does he even go on this adventure? Because of this friendship. Because his yeah. friend get, gets killed by these people, and then he has his other friend there to help him through, and he forms a relationship with uh, Bogum, uh, with uh, uh, Taggart and uh, and uh, uh, I forget the Judge Reinhold's character's yeah. name, but he forms a relationship. So the thing about Eddie is you can bash Eddie all you want to complain about Eddie. Eddie always finds the heart in the comedy, and this film is, I think, the greatest realization of this until he does Nutty Professor. It is a fantastic right. film with very funny characters, but characters that could easily be stock or caricatures, but are actually very funny lived in characters because they get more than one scene to breathe especially those barbershop characters do you see them in the barbershop and at the black awareness yeah. stuff you know i half expected to see them see them at the wedding but like, oh, you know, would, which would have been, been hilarious so but like all of this is what's incredible there, yeah there's funny little humors and talking about fish out of water and then africa versus america black america black african versus black american having those kinds of things going on those are jokes that work that are universal in a lot of ways and then his story this idea of i don't want someone to determine my life for me yeah i want to determine my life for me even in the pursuit of love, I want it to be on my terms and me figuring it out and me finding it. So what is he saves someone from a terrible situation in a way, and they come together and they find love. That scene, as you said, on the train, easy, easy victory, convince her, they come together, they're in love. No, she runs away. Yep. So that you have that moment at the end that also redeems the parent, the, the, uh, Joffrey. It redeems Joffrey because Joffrey's the one that probably with his wife went and got Lisa and apologized to Lisa and explained how much Hakeem had done this or that. And so there's redemption all around. But I think the thing about this film is the heart and the comedy is the combo. And the comedy is so fun, it's so great and so uh, uh, drop dead funny that you you can be forgiven for missing the heart. But without the heart, the film doesn't work. And it's not... Um, to me, the greatest, the best Eddie Murphy film ever made without that heart, because that is who Eddie is, in my opinion. Um, and there's and Nutty Professor, like I said, kind of follows the same thing, where he does not want to be. There's all these great big comedy moments, but in the end, it's about a man who's struggling with the perception of himself, is, yeah. of who he is, and just wanting to find love for someone to accept him for who he is, even though he's trying to be something else. Just being himself was actually the right thing. And the same thing here. Just being himself, Hakeem, is the right thing. So hmm. I, I love this. I, I love both. I think they're companion movies of Eddie's Nighty Professor and Coming to America, where I think Coming to America is a little bit funnier. 
I also think the heart, though, is very similar between the two movies. So. I thought about that of just the of mm-hmm. the idea of identity. I mean, yep. it's interesting thinking about a person who's such a good mimic, mm-hmm. you know. And oh, great you know, point. And, and that he's becoming well. And you look at Trading Places mm. as a person becoming somebody exactly who's different. Exactly. And you look at you know, there's so much pretending to be other things mm-hmm. that it's interesting that these movies, the two movies that have the most heart, are about being right. who you are. And if you throw in trading places, it's a social commentary about how right. I could be just as successful as this white guy if I had the opportunities, but in the inner city, yeah, I don't have those opportunities because your system keeps me from not having it. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. So that's what we think of coming to America. Of course, we always want to hear what you think. Take a visit to our Facebook page. Uh, you can uh, you can subscribe to us on YouTube. Leave your comments there. Subscribe to us on iTunes, on all the other places. Um, you can buy the movie on our website, cinephiles.net. You can support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash the cinephiles. And as always, you can reach me at SR Morris on Twitter and SR Morris one on Instagram. John, where can they reach you? I like to give you an Instagram account now. Nice. You can find me at the Roca says on Twitter and on Instagram as well. And uh, as we said at the beginning here, don't forget Chicago live show, top 10 show. Go to reggieslive.com, reggieslive.com, and buy tickets there. We're doing two shows at 6.30 and 9.30 on April 11th in Chicago during Star Wars Celebration. And that's it for this week. We will see you next time on The Cinephiles. Cinephiles.